Hey, this is Ryan here. I have a very special guest on today. I have Scott Roth. Scott is the CEO of Legit Script. Scott's done some amazing things. It's not only did I, I meet Scott in college, but Scott has done some awesome work, was a VP of marketing over at Salesforce, has been a CEO for about six years, and shares his strategies and insights on how to take a SaaS company from 10 million to 20, 30, 40, 50 million, the frameworks that he used to, to do that and execute on that. And on top of it, he talks about integrating AI into your strategy today. And then at the same time, at the end, on, on how to plan for it for the future and leverage it to really take your organization to the next level. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Scott Roth. Scott is the CEO of LegitScript was previously the VP of Global Marketing at Salesforce, has held CMO, general manager, and another CEO position, where he's actually helped founders scale their company from 10 million to 200, 300% growth. Also has clients like Boeing, TikTok, and many others. Scott, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Hey, Ryan. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too. It's uh, Scott and I, in full disclosure, actually went to college together. And it was, it was one of those random things. He saw one of my other guests on the show. It's like, hey, this is awesome. I'm going to check this out. And, and then I'm like, dude, you should be on the show. You're doing some amazing things. So um, really, really cool to share you with my audience. Uh, but before we get too much into your backstory, one of the things I want to hear about is just do a real quick revenue rundown in terms of where LegitScript is at right now in the stage of the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Yeah, um, so we're right in the neighborhood of 50 million of ARR. Uh, we just went over 200 employees and have been having really solid uh, kind of profitable growth. We were doing we were doing the profitable growth thing before it became cool. <laughs> before it's sexy, right? Exactly. Uh, what's your primary go-to-market strategy for revenue growth? Yeah, so we're we're an interesting business. There's kind of two parts to our business. We have. Uh, an enterprise monitoring business. And on that side, it's a pretty traditional uh, B2B direct sales, um, pretty high dollar, high ticket items, uh, kind of mid six figures into seven figure contracts that we're selling with folks over multiple years. Um, And then the flip side of our business is we have a certification business, which is more of a kind of a, it's not B2C, but it's a SMB motion and those uh, contracts are, you know, typically about a thousand, two thousand dollars annual uh, value, and so that portion is really all kind of direct uh, marketing-led online. Um, they transact on our website. So interesting mix of kind of having both that that big enterprise side plus the SMB piece. Excellent. Yeah. No, that is a very unique model that you kind of got both sides of it. It's so. Can, Scott, can you just give like a two sentence summary? I know you hit on a little bit about your solution and like exactly what it does and who it serves. Yeah. Um, well, so I always start by sharing our mission because I just love the mission of this business. It's to make the internet and payment ecosystem safer and more transparent. And so um, at the core, what we do is we actually have a, a comprehensive solution that includes technology that we've built, um, data, as well as uh, human insights uh, from our analyst team. Um, And we use that to help large internet, social media, e-commerce, and payments platforms 
um, identify risky or problematic advertisements, product listings, or payment transactions um, that are happening that shouldn't happen. So folks that are maybe you know selling illegal pharmaceutical drugs or uh, weapons and firearms or in, um, you know counterfeit products, things like that that are either highly regulated or even just outright illegal to be selling. Um, so we help uh, big platforms identify. Uh, those things that might exist on their platform so that they can help remove that and take it down so that it doesn't harm uh, consumers. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, So who do you work with mostly? Is it like on the customer side, is it product or who would would actually be like your ideal buyer? Yeah, that's a great question. We are, um, we're really kind of see ourselves as an extension of the risk and compliance or the trust and safety teams uh, within these big uh, platform organizations. And so there is a connection with product though. So the folks that own the product, that own the success of the product and making sure that the product's being used uh, in the way that it's intended to. Um, So the product teams are definitely you know, kind of a user influencer, um, but we usually partner, you know, really closely with trust and safety or risk and compliance. Um, the folks who are there to ensure, you know, that there's uh, there's not stuff happening on the platform that shouldn't be happening, and really that's kind of their day in and day out mandate. They're kind of the main the main core customer for us. Yeah, no, that that um, that makes sense, man. So, are you bootstrapped or funded? Um, so we're actually, we are private equity backed. Um, and so we had uh, a, we're, we're actually a majority owned by two different private equity firms. So Providence Strategic Growth, uh, as well as the Jordan Company, um, are the two uh, private equity backers that own the, the majority of the business. Okay. Excellent, man. So let's let's kind of fast forward a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot we could dig into in terms of what you've done and, and with your journey, because I think it's really, really unique in terms of some of the things that you're, you have done and that you're doing now. So I guess like, you know, one of the things that I saw just, just in terms of looking in your background is like, you did a really incredible job of earlier on getting three promotions in three years, all in marketing. And then you, you landed the VP of sales role, VP of marketing at Salesforce, I should say. Um, I guess then you started the transition where you went to a GM and then basically a CEO helping founders, like, I guess, like, what's the natural progression of how that happened? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say, first of all, I was extremely fortunate, um, fortunate to be a part of some amazing, uh, fast growing organizations and to be fortunate to be able to be mentored by some amazing leaders who, you know, I think saw some potential in me. Um, yeah, I would say my kind of big career-defining place was really uh, Exact Target, um, which was an email marketing, digital marketing platform, amazing company. Um, I had the great fortune of joining them uh, in early 2008. Um, An interesting little side story on that was that, uh, you know, the company had actually filed to go public in 2007. You know, it was a time where you could take SaaS companies public on a smaller, you know, book of revenue, um, but because of the financial markets and what was happening with the recession, you know, very wisely decided to shelve the the IPO. 
but took an opportunity to like double and triple down and raised a ton of funding at a time when everybody else was pulling back. And so I was, you know, I, I joined the company. I was my, it was my first job managing people. I came in uh, as director of product marketing and then had an opportunity to just really scale and grow with the company um, over the course of, you know, about four or five years, we went from 200 employees to 2,000 employees. Um, we acquired a couple of other businesses. We opened up offices all across the globe. Um, eventually did take the company public uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. And then about a year later, were acquired by Salesforce. And so um, I just, you know, being a part of that ride and that journey and being able to, you know, continue to grow my career um, as a part of Exact Target. Um, and, you know, again, we thought we were doing cool and big things at, at Exact Target, but then you get a part of Salesforce and you're like, holy smokes, like this place is insane, just the pace and the growth. And so, you know, I learned so much in the four years that I was with Exact Target, but I probably learned just as much uh, in the one year that I was at Salesforce after that. And so, you know, for me, I've just always been like a lifelong learner and just trying to you know, maximize every single opportunity of how can I grow? How can I develop myself? Um, and I knew from a pretty early day, like I wanted to be a CEO. And so as I was thinking about my own career journey um, within Exact Target and Salesforce and then into Return Path and uh, ultimately JAMA, a lot of what I was thinking of was, you know, how can I serve the company, but also how can I pick up unique experiences that will set me up to ultimately be a CEO? And so that's a lot of, you know, what I was thinking about as I made those different moves. Um, and part of it was really challenging. Like I had to, uh, you know, I traveled almost every single week from Portland to Indianapolis. Uh, we ended up moving to Indianapolis for a year um, when we did the IPO. And so that was a huge change for my wife and I. We had a young kid at the time. And so, um, just lots of lots of different opportunities to learn and grow along the way and help pick up those experiences. So what were those experiences that you had along the way of, you know, being an executive at Salesforce and then just kind of your growth at Exact Target that were most critical to, I guess, building you up so that you had the capability to be an excellent CEO? Yeah. Um I guess I would probably, there, there was a lot, like if I had to distill it down to a couple of things, um, one, of, one of which was just always have a growth mindset, um, always looking for opportunities to take things to the next level. Um, how do you not settle for, you know, the status quo? How do you always constantly improve? How do you always constantly grow and evolve what you're doing? Um, when you're a part of those growth companies, um, they're growing at such a rapid pace that I feel like if you as an individual aren't growing your own skills at the same pace, the company's gonna the company's just gonna grow past you. And so I really felt like that's a it's a very personal individual thing that you've got to grow at the same pace as the company, if not faster. Otherwise, it's gonna leave you behind. So that growth mindset was a huge thing that I learned. Um, I think the next thing I learned was you know, so much of what we do is just cross-departmental collaboration and work. And um, while it's one thing to become a really good, um, you know, executive in your own area, whether that's marketing or sales or engineering or product or whatever that might be, um, that's only going to get you so far. And so having a good, well-rounded discipline, being able to truly understand other aspects of the business, not just so that you can 
you know, engage with people effectively and be a good teammate, but so that you can truly understand how can your part of the business serve another part of the business. Um, that was a huge one. And I, I just was really fortunate to have an amazing um, CRO and CMO that were above me at Exact Target, a gentleman by the name of Andy Kofoid, and then Tim Kopp, uh, who ran marketing. And they both kind of like challenged me to help be that bridge between sales and marketing um, because I had that in my background. And so that was a great example of, you know, being able to help see around some corners uh, because of having a broader perspective on things. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's critical. So that brings me kind of your CEO role, right? Mm. You know, you've been a CEO for looks like close to six years and not even including the GM position, which is kind of like a group president, right? Yeah. So like, how do you allocate your time and your focus being a CEO due to the fact that you're trying to rapidly grow and scale the company? You're trying to be a good leader, trying to be a good husband and father, you know, and you do other charitable stuff on the side. So how do you balance it all? And how do you structure your focus, your energy and your time? Mm, great question. Um, I don't know that I'm very good at it. So <laughs> I'll share uh, I'll share some of my thoughts and some of the things that I do there. But I'll be just totally honest with you that I don't feel like I've got it all figured out. Um, I mean, first and foremost is, you know, I think I've come to grips with like, what are my non-negotiables in life? And for me, a big part of that is my family. Um, it's my faith. It's my, um, you know, belief that like, I want to make the community that I work in a better community. And so um, a part of me, you know, when I go into a role is that you're getting, you're getting the full package. You're not just getting the, the work, Scott, but you're going to get all those other things that are really important to me and that I'm going to be able to, I need to be able to make those a priority in my life. Um, and so, you know, I, I think being upfront and honest with folks uh, from the very beginning is, uh, is an important element uh, on that side. Um, from a like if I dial it in on the work balance side of where you invest, you know every every company is is different. So there's no magic formula for um, you know for what this looks like and every stage of life is different. I mean, legit script, you know, when I joined two and a half years ago, we were a much smaller business than where we are now and where we're going. And so things change and evolve. But what I've tried to do is, you know, really think about, two things, or I guess three things, but two of them are kind of related. Number one is um, how can I have just the most amazing executive team on the planet to be um, that extension into the organization? And so my number one job, I feel like, is to serve the company through the executive team. And so I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to engage with my leaders on my team to build them up, to make sure that they're working together uh, in, in as much of a harmonious way as possible across the organization. And so I think that's, you know, thing number one. The second thing is, um, how can I really help us see into the future and see around corners? Um, where are we going? Where do we need to go? How do we get the right expertise in-house, um, whether through employees or through advisors, through our board, things like that? to really be able to set us up uh, for the future and where we need to go and to guide that strategy to make sure that we're always kind of out in front of the next uh, phase of phase of growth. Um, and then the third part, um, and this is where I think it's all kind of connected, is 
you know, really individually digging in on the stuff that I feel like I'm gifted for and can help out the company. And so for me, I love like strategic planning. I'm not the best person to execute the plan and to drive it to fruition. Um, I'll lose interest over time. But like, I love, you know, digging in, creating a vision, helping to get the team aligned on that, um, and then being able to help them remove barriers uh, whenever those come up. And so that is just such a, a passion of mine. And I feel like I'm uniquely gifted to be able to go do that and help the company with that. So I spend a lot of my time, you know, focused on that and then helping my team, you know, holding them accountable, but also helping to remove those blockers whenever they come across them. Uh, and that's kind of how I try to bucket bucket the work that I do. That's awesome, man. I, I think that's really good. Um, I actually had Chris Savage on on my show. I don't know. This is about a month ago. Have you heard of Chris Savage? He's the CEO of Wistia. I'm not, I don't know Chris like, now. Yeah, it's like a video platform. And one of the things he talked about was he said one of the biggest changes that helped him grow from 15 to 50 mil was um, the fact that basically he kind of restructured the focus of his team. So he had the directors focusing on basically the next 12 months out, really in terms of planning and execution. He had his VPs the next you know 12 months to a year, and then he was really focused on two years plus, mm-hmm. right, to have that vision, which sounds like that aligns with kind of number two and what you're talking about. Yeah, so, definitely a very similar a similar perspective. And again, that's different for, you know, what, what you're actually working on is probably different at every different company. But I think that framework, that framework likely applies. Yeah. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So let's talk about like looking around the, the, the corner, right? And like how to, to kind of see what's in the future and uh, approach that. You know, one of the things that came out, I don't know, about a week and a half before we were recording this right now is ChatGPT with OpenAI. And I know we talked about AI a little bit in the, in the pre-show prep. And so I guess like from your perspective, you know, what's around the corner with that? First of all, like, how do you leverage it now, right? Yeah. So how do you leverage AI now? And then what's around the corner three to five years from now? And how are you preparing your organization for that? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely thinking a lot about that um, and have been since I joined the company uh, two and a half years ago. Um, so as I mentioned at the, at the beginning, you know, I think we are a, we're a bit of a unique solution in that what we deliver for our clients it takes a combination of technology, data, as well as human insights. Um, And so from our perspective, um, the work that we're doing is at such a scale that there's no way that we could do this um, without advanced technology, um, without machine learning, without AI. And so that is an area where we are investing a ton right now. Um, So we've had um, I would say in the past, we've had kind of a, an entry level version of that where, you know, we've used algorithms, we've used rules based uh, approaches to be able to 
identify things to help our analysts then have a smaller set of data that they then have to work through. Um, I don't believe that we will ever be, at least in our business, I don't believe that we're ever going to be in a world where we can do what we do at the quality that we need to do it for our partners without having some level of human involvement. Um, That being said, um, we have a a technology um, roadmap and vision around what we call OneView. And OneView is our next generation technology platform. We've been working on this for the last year and a half where we're bringing all of our data and information together in one modern data lake to be able to have the ability to house things and to run things at scale. We're then applying machine learning and AI on top of that uh, set of data to be able to produce insights. And then um, we have our team of analysts that will be able to work through that data and then prepare that and represent it either through the software user interface that we provide or more likely through APIs that then send the data back into our client systems. And so that is something that we've been investing a ton into. And it's all about how can we get faster at detection? How can we um, streamline things? Uh, A big thing for us is that you know, while we're happy to work with our large platform um, customers and identify, you know, bad stuff that's already out there that shouldn't be out there, but we would much rather stop the bad stuff from getting on the platform in the first place. And that's where machine learning and AI come into effect is saying, okay, we've seen this seller, but this third-party seller before, we've seen these products before, how can we help you block those from getting into your marketplace uh, at at the start? so that we don't have to go clean it up and find it, you know, once it's there. And by the way, you know, maybe thousands or millions of consumers have engaged with it already. And so for us, like there's so much potential to use advanced technology and then help our team of analysts do higher value work uh, instead of having to do some of the more mundane things that they do today. Um, how can we use, how can we leverage the insanely smart brains that they have um, to do some of the higher value-added stuff uh, that we're just not getting to because of the volume that we have. Okay, that makes sense. That's exciting too. I mean, it sounds like you, you have some really cool things kind of lined up for that. Are, are there any specific types of like AI or machine learning like you're integrating in terms of whether it's development language, whether it's open AI, other, other types that, that you plan on using? Yeah, um, so this is where it starts to get way out of my realm from a technology perspective, but we are, I would say we're kind of all of the above. We are building kind of our own framework and methodology for how we do this, but we're also leveraging a ton of available third-party components to be able to do the work. I think that's one of the most exciting things about doing this effort now is that you don't have to go build everything from scratch. And that was totally different, you know, 10, probably even five years ago. Um, If you wanted to go build this, you know, you had to hire a massive team of data scientists to go make this happen. And now there's so much third-party technology to be able to leverage. And what we're doing is we're taking like, how can we leverage uh, technology that's already there, but how can we use our unique domain experience that we have and that we've built up that's proprietary to us over time and ingest that into it. And so that's why I say it's kind of a combination of, you know, things that we're doing with our own data scientists and our own analyst team, but also, you know, third-party technology components, uh, a lot of which are just native with the different cloud platforms that we operate on 
uh, to be able to go to go work. Excellent, man. Well, let's shift gears a little bit off the tech side. Let's go to the scaling side. And, you know, one of the things that you've had a lot of success with when it comes to scaling is your ability to grow companies from 10 million up to 200, 300, 400, 500 percent growth from that point. So what's your methodology or framework for executing and making that a reality? Um, again, I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a broken record that every company is different. So, you know, I think what, what I had to do at JAMA and what we're doing at LegitScript um, may not apply for everybody. But the, I mean, a couple of elements that were, that were pretty common was um, really being able to ratchet up the repeatability of sales and marketing. And so, um, and I'll even just speak to that with LegitScript. When I came on board, um, we had some amazing large enterprise clients, but we had a pretty small concentration of revenue uh, with some of those bigger customers. And part of this was how can we go unlock a repeatable sales and marketing motion um, to be able to distribute uh, better the customer base and go generate revenue in markets that we're not tapping into. So constantly thinking about, you know, what is the, what are those repeatable motions? What's working? You know, what's not working? How do we go do that as we scale? Um, the second part is um, really how do we uh, not only get more market share, but how do we start to go into adjacent markets? And for my experience, both at JAMA as well as LegitScript, um, when I came into the company, the companies were primarily focused on the U.S. as our go-to-market. And so international expansion has been a big part of that. Um, being able to open up a presence uh, in different regions across the globe to be able to go capture more market share um, by having more of that breadth. Uh, and then I would say the third part that's been important on both sides is you know, not only getting things to be repeatable and scalable on the go-to-market and then having the broader geographic distribution, but once you have that and you've got good loyal customers with strong retention metrics, how do you start to layer on additional products uh, that they would potentially want to buy from you? And so that is really you know, taking a look to the left and to the right of what we do for them today and saying, okay, are there capabilities that are in the sweet spot that we could also provide to them? Um, and in the case of JAMA, we made an acquisition to be able to go do that. Um, LegitScript, you know, we're looking at all different angles, whether that's developing those capabilities on our own, whether it's acquiring another company. Um, we're kind of in the we're in kind of that, you know, build, buy, or partner uh, phase right now of figuring out what that's going to look like as we continue to accelerate the growth. Okay, I love that. Core, core uh, principles that you're talking about there, I mean, they all make sense. And I, I just love the simplicity that you had it. So digging it one level deeper, like if, if you're analyzing like the sales and marketing structure for that repeatability, like what what have you seen work most successful in both those in instances, right? Both at at Jama and then at Legit Script. Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll put I'll put aside the kind of the Legit Script uh, small like SMB side for a second. Um, and we come back to that if we want to. But uh, the, the there's commonality between the two as far as like the direct enterprise sales uh, side of things. Um, I would say this, and this may sound like table stakes or silly, but I actually think a lot of companies miss it. Job number one is alignment of sales and marketing. And mm -hmm. I find that there's still so many companies that have a misaligned you know, sales and marketing team. 
Um, and that is such an internal barrier to growth and execution is that if you don't have a common set of metrics that your sales and marketing organization care about and live and breathe all day long, you're never going to get the maximum potential for what it is that you do. Obviously, sales and marketing do two different things. They're not doing the same thing, but they have to have a common set of success metrics and KPIs and goals that they're driving to. And I think that's a critical internal blocker that um, I've dealt with at you know both companies. We're by no means are we perfect and do we have it completely figured out. But I think that is probably one of the biggest factors that I've seen that kind of limits the ability to, to scale and grow uh, on that side. Um, and then the second thing I would say in both of the businesses, um, we were very much focused on capital efficiency and making sure that we have our selling resources um, as productive as possible before we're adding a bunch more into the mix. I think that's always... Uh, you know, maybe more so with like VC backed firms, but, um, you know, that's always a danger is just continuing to add more and more capacity before you're ready for it. And I think it's a trap that a lot of companies fall into is Mm -hmm. I would much rather have a smaller number of reps that are just absolutely crushing it versus have a bigger number of reps where, you know, only half of them or even less are productive and you're churning through everything. That also leaves a damaging impression on your customer base when you've got kind of that constantly revolving door. And so um, that's been an area that I've really kind of focused in on with my revenue leaders is how do we make sure that we've got every single person, you know, firing on as many of the cylinders as possible before we start layering on more and more resources uh, and just kind of growing, you know, growing the problem, I guess. Scaling shit, right? You don't want to scale shit. (laughs) I know it smells, it's not fun. Um, So I take it you look at like conversion speed um, and then on the marketing side, like pipeline and brand are probably like the two, that you kind of orchestrate is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like UCB maybe as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I definitely am leaning heavily. While I, I've got sales and marketing roots, I'm leaving leaning heavily on my uh, head of sales and marketing to be able to go drive it. But yeah, we are we're definitely looking at like the efficiency of of what that growth looks like. We're looking at the the payback, the CAC payback period, and what that is on that side. Um, we are we love data here, and so I mean we're a, we're kind of an analytics company for these big platforms, and so um, I'd say we geek out on figuring out how can we optimize every single um, step within the customer journey, and so I think there's always I think that's another one that's just it's fun to go into because when you look at things holistically, it's hard to like you know, figure out where the problems or where the opportunities are. But when you break it down into the micro steps, um, then you can really start to to move the needle on it. And so those are a lot of the, the things that, you know, my sales and marketing leaders do. And I get to partner with them on, you know, helping them see around some corners of what I've seen in my past. That's awesome, man. Well, we're just about up on time. Uh, but before we go, I guess like for you uh, and kind of where the stage you're at now, what do you see as like the biggest challenge with making the next evolutional growth step that you have towards that nine figure mark? Focus. Uh, number one thing is focus. And I mean, that's probably similar at every stage. Um, there's so many di- 
directions you can go. Um, but now, you know, where we're at and where we're going, you know, the stakes are that much higher. And so um, we need to be absolute experts in what it is that we're doing. We need to execute on an extremely high level at a high level. And I need to make sure that the team is organized and really understanding, okay, what are the three to five things that are going to move the needle in this next period of time? Let's not boil the ocean. Let's not do everything that we could possibly go do. But how do we constantly simplify things, make it easier, make it easier for everybody in the company to know what's a priority and what's not a priority? Um, I think that's one of the risks, you know, where we're at is, you know, you get 200 plus employees and the thing starts to take a life of its own unless at the top you make it really, really clear of what you're here to do, what's what's important and what's not, and have a team that can really drive that through execution. And so I think that that focus um, and saying no to things, and it, honestly, it's not something I'm great at. <laughs> and so it's something that I'm learning and evolving as a leader to be able to do that. I want to take on as many things as possible and nail them all, but I know that that's not the right way to do it. And so um, I would say focus is, uh, is job number one on how do, we, how do we make this thing pop. Excellent, ma'am. Well, it was, it was a pleasure having you on, catching up with you. Uh, can you let people know where they could find you, where they can find out more about LegitScript, and then we'll wrap things up, ma'am. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. And it's so great to connect uh, all the way from back in our college days. I don't know <laughs> that we had actually even seen each other since, uh, yeah, since graduation. Yeah, it's like 10 um, years ago, right? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, but yeah, no, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you can find us at legitscript.com. Um, you can find me, just search for Scott Roth on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of the fun stuff that I've been able to be a part of over the last 20 plus years. It was awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Scott. Uh, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.